really got something special tonight. For me, it's special because uh, I think I used to teach and preach a lot on this subject, um, but as a young man, I really hadn't experienced a lot of what I was teaching or preaching. Part of life and the longevity of life is to experience things, both good and bad, and uh, this subject is really called the way of the wilderness, and uh, I always talked about it, you know, God's suffering in our lives is meant for our good, but until you really suffer and get in the wilderness, you really don't understand it, and so uh, this is near and dear to my heart, but I, I'm praying that the purpose of this study tonight is to, is to help all of us, um, of course, by the grace of God and through the Spirit of God, to gain insight into the ways of God, the methods of God, the process of God to help mold us, teach us, and to conform us to his image. So with that, I'd have you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And we'll be, I'll have quite a few scripture, but um, probably time won't permit to be able to go through, so I'll just quote them the best I can. I'll, I'll be more like Brother Jim. I'll get it partially right. But brother, we were all with you, and we're glad we're not up there doing it. That's all I can tell you. And, uh, and Brother Tom Cronin, you never looked better on the wall. I was really, I was telling Tom, I, he came up to visit me in Seattle. What a blessing that was. That was actually uh, almost 10 years ago, well, maybe about 10 years ago. So I have a picture of Tom. You look good, brother. Glad to see you here. It was really good to, been a blessing to be able to fellowship with you again. So again, this is an interesting uh, context of words here that the Lord has put together that always caught my attention in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. We're only going to read two verses here. It says, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Now, you know, that's the land of Canaan. That's the good land. He did not lead them that way, although that was near. It's an interesting statement, huh? Oh, hey, that was near. But then it says, but God said, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. This seems like God took them a different direction than what they expected to go. God led them, it says, but God led his people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing, and then we'll get into this. Father, we thank you that we can gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift him up. Lord, help us tonight to learn from your word. Help me. I'm too inadequate, Lord, to do this. Uh, I need you, I need the Holy Spirit to teach us, to help uh, gain the truths of God, to help us walk with you, have a, a closer walk, and to keep you first and foremost in our lives and everything we do. May you help us, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, and I pray, Lord, that you will uh, really open our eyes tonight, Lord, in this precious truth that you've given to us in Jesus' name, amen. God led them not, though that was near, for us... That would be logical. That's often how it is when we look at things in life and circumstances. It always seems logical. In this case, that was near. That, in my opinion, would make the best sense. 
Why not go that way? I mean, this was the good land. This was the easy route. We go into there. We can capture the promised land. We can get in there. But God knew better. God saw the end. He sees the end from the beginning. And he saw that. He knew that was not the best for them. But oftentimes, we're on the outside. We don't have that, in, in, we don't have that understanding or insight. And God doesn't always share that with us. So it's easy for us to say, well, if God's taking us another way, that just doesn't make sense. And oftentimes, we get into circumstances, and they get hard, and we say to ourselves, well, this just doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't God take us this way? Or why wouldn't God do it this way? And I'm always reminded over and over again of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For thus saith the Lord, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. For as heavens are as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't think like God except for the Word of God. That's the only way to know God in His ways. But often His ways do not make sense. When has God really made sense? in all the things that he's done in your life. Often you look back and say, oh, okay, that makes sense now, but boy, when you were in it, it didn't make sense. For that Israelite, coming out of Egypt and thinking of a promised land, which was near, but being taken another way, which would be hard, by the way, you got to be thinking as an Israelite, oh, wait a minute, God, this just doesn't make sense. And their attitude reflected it. They complained, they whined, they said, oh, God's putting us out here to kill us. The last thing God was doing was going to put their lives in danger. Little did they know God was keeping them from that route, which was the easy route, to protect them, to care for them. And he was taking them another route to teach him and conform them to his image. And it's so much important for us to understand that God doesn't make sense. And oftentimes we're trying to make sense and we think of God in a logical way. And it doesn't work. It doesn't line up. But God led them the way of the wilderness. And you go, say what? Why? I mean, think about the wilderness for a sec. It's a hard place. It's barren. It's fruitless. It's dangerous. And it's got, it's, it's got all kinds of things that are, are not good in the sense of life. And yet, that was the way God sent them. Does that make sense for, I mean, didn't he redeem his people? And I think a lot of people, I, want, I would hope and pray that as you hear this out, that if you haven't been through the wilderness, you're probably going to go through the wilderness as a believer. Or you've come through the wilderness and, you just, and you've just come out of the wilderness, or you're in the wilderness. And God's hand is on you, working you, and I hope this will encourage you because I want to try to answer the questions why would God lead them or lead you the way of the wilderness why is it more often than not that God takes us down a road we least expect when I left gospel baptist I was at the pinnacle of many things in my life and soon after that my life began to fall apart in different ways my marriage my family my job Things just weren't happening the way it should have. I could have said I'm out of the will of God. Or is it God has some other plan to teach me and to mold me? And a lot of things in that time frame that I went through in the wilderness 
didn't make sense. But, oh, man, I look back, they make a lot of sense to me. I, I have no regrets, and I'm thankful that God took me through the wilderness because he made me better and stronger as a believer. But when I was in it, thick in it, that's not what I was thinking. I'm like, Lord, you got to get me out of this. I want to run. God doesn't let you run. But I always learn from this that God sees the bigger picture. We don't. God sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's best for us, and he always, always has our best interest in mind. Always. And fourth, he knows how we're made, what we're made of, and he knows what it takes to change us. And everyone is different. But everyone will be in the wilderness at some point in their life. Because God knows that's the way that he has to mold them. So what can we learn from the way of the wilderness? The wilderness is meant to break the self-will. Let me explain this, what I mean by this. We love control. I've been in leadership for almost 35 years, so I have a little understanding of control. But in reality, in the business world, there's a lot of things I did not control or could not control. I had ideas, I had to, I had to make decisions, but oftentimes those decisions would be life-changing for the people that I was given responsibility for. So it's our nature, our very nature to control whether it's a controlling in our marriage, controlling our children, controlling in a business, we love control. And God has to take sometimes the control in our life and he has to break that, that self-will, to get them to submit and be humble. I think it was Frank Sinatra that once said or sang that song, My Way, I Did It My Way. Ever read the lyrics? It just reeks with self-will. I did it my way. If he went to the grave doing it his way, I'm afraid blue eyes is not going to be blue eyes when he stands before God. Because there is only one way, and it's God's way. Now, in principle, God is purging from our lives the old man. I understand in principle that the old man has been crucified with Christ, rendering him powerless in our lives. But oftentimes, we tend to resurrect the old man and put him in control and not God. And so God has to take and purge from us and break our self-control and, and our will in order to do his will and to be that vessel that he wants to use. No one enjoys that, but it's purpose, it has a purpose. And, and I understand doctrinally that the old man's crucified, but we do resurrect him. We struggle with the fact we like to control. So he puts us in the wilderness to move us from independence to dependence. There's a big, this is a really important subject. In fact, I believe the definition of faith itself is tied in with those two words. We've read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith, right? Without faith, 
it is impossible. That's a strong word. Impossible means impossible to please God. So I want to please God. Well, then you got to have faith. It's that simple. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you study that out carefully with Enoch, who walked with God because he pleased God, and two walked together because they agree, and that means Enoch agreed with God, which means Enoch depended on God. So in essence, the, the very definition of faith is dependence on God. That goes against what we are as a people. We are independent. We raise our very children to be independent. Now, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Because if they're home at age 25, you got work to do. Because I know you're not happy about that if they're in your basement still living off your food. and your, that, that's, I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about real dependence on God, needing God from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. With that, God is pleased. That's the kind of faith. Romans 14, verse 23, tells us the opposite of faith, which is sin. That without faith, or without faith is possible to please God, but whatsoever is not of faith, whatsoever is not depending on God, is sin. It's that simple. When I want to, if I want a definition, what's faith? Dependence on, dependence on God. If I want a definition of sin, independence from God. But that's how we tend to act. We struggle with this independence. I like what Brother Chris said. He, you know, he gave us that analogy. The world doesn't evolve around you, Chris. I love that. And that's what God's doing in our lives at times. Running a circle saying, the world doesn't evolve around you, it evolves around me. And he has to take us into the wilderness and break that independent spirit to become dependent. And when we become dependent, oftentimes through the wilderness, we learn to submit to God, then God is pleased. Our sweet-smelling savor. He's pleased with that. We want, he wants us to be that vessel that he can use for his purpose and his glory. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. It really gives you another uh, perp, a reason for the wilderness, clearly spelled out here. And it goes in hand in hand with this subject of being dependent on God. Why did God put them in the wilderness? Why does he put us in the wilderness? Now, we, we often think, well, I'm serving God. And I'm, I'm doing the best I can. But God says, but he knows our heart. He knows more about us than we know. And we may think that sometimes. And then we get in the wilderness and say, wait a minute, God. I mean, at my pinnacle, I was serving God with my whole heart. At least I thought I was. But God said, I have other things I need to teach you to get you to depend on me. So we don't always think just because we're serving and spiritual-minded that we don't have a lesson coming in the wilderness. Because our whole life is going to be a, a battle between the old man and the new man, the independent man and the dependent man. And God's always going to be moving us into that area of dependence. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. 
Why? To humble thee. That's the very principle of depending on him. Humble thee, and then he says, and to prove thee, to know what was in thy heart. That's really a key phrase, to know what was in your heart. Because we don't know what's in our heart always. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It can convince you, convince yourself that you're just a spiritual bird and everything's good and dandy. And God says, no, I got other things I need to teach you. Here we go. You're going to the wilderness. So I can prove you. I can show what's in your heart so that I can manifest that and work through that to use you even for even greater things. This principle was seen in the apostles. Look at Peter. Perfect example. I mean, Peter loved the Lord with all his heart. I mean, it's clear that he was the leader. But look at Peter and how many times he stumbled, even to the point of denying the Lord. Something he said, I will die for you. And then moments later, he's out confessing he doesn't know him. There's the heart. But God brought him to that place of repentance and weeping. Now he could use Peter and who delivered the first message on the day of Pentecost. Peter! He's just using him, preparing him. That was a painful moment for Peter's life. But that was, a, that was just a glimpse of the wilderness for him. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, continuing on, verse 3, And he humbled thee, and he suffered thee to hunger, and, to, with, and he fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that, they might, that he might make thee know that... Man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. What's he teaching them? I want you to stop depending on your words, and I want you to start depending on my words. And that's the principle of the wilderness to get us there. Depend on his words and not our own. If you were to take time and, and turn to, you don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah chapter 17. In fact, there's a lot in Jeremiah about this, the vessel. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, he contrasts two individuals. And I think at least, at least verses 5 through uh, 10. And he said this one, he says, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, who maketh his arm his strength. In other words, the man that trusts in his own strength to do his own thing is a cursed man. And he's like this heath that sits in the desert, and it's useless. It's dried up, does nothing, bears no purpose. But then he says, but then there's this, the next one he, he compares to, he said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. There it is, that dependence, who hope the Lord is. He's like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water, and when the drought comes... The roots are deep enough to grab hold of the water, the living water, and still bear fruit. But then it concludes, well, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So again, the Lord has to sometimes bring out in us through the wilderness, are we trusting in man or are we trusting in God? And I believe God's people are always trying to trust in God. But we still revert back to the old man. And the control, and sometimes we need these lessons. They can be short, but in some cases they can be long. My wilderness journey was at least three years. 
three years. Some I've seen go longer than that. And just the last two years have been a quite a journey for me and my family with multiple deaths, lots of stuff at work. And that, I, I don't want to talk about my, my wounds, but I want you to know that there's just journeys we have to take that God teaches us to become more dependent on him. In Jeremiah 18, one chapter more than what we just read, in Jeremiah 18, he's told to go look at the potter. And he says, I want, you to, I want you to observe what's going on there. And the potter is working with the clay. And he says, the, but the clay was marred, or the vessel was marred. So he made it again another vessel. And he began to shape and form it. And he said, because it was pleasing to the potter. And what's interesting about that is he made it again because it was marred. He made it again another vessel. To make it again means you have to break it first. It was one shape, and then you start over, and you start molding it on the wheel to be able to make it the vessel that you want. And Romans 9 says, can the thing formed say to the thing that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? And then the next verse says, Does the, doesn't the potter have power over the clay? I'm not in charge of my life. I can think I'm in charge. But I don't want to think that because I'm afraid I know what God will do if I start thinking that way. Too many times uh, the arrogance, the pride swells up and I've got this, I can do this. I, uh, and next thing the Lord says, okay, we got, a little, we got a little time out here. We're going to have to teach you something. It's better to just stay humble like they did. He said in the wilderness, to humble thee, to humble thee, to suffer thee, to learn to depend on my words. And we have to be honest with ourselves. We struggle with letting go and giving to the Lord. It's our nature to control. I often think of this as the drowning man. I've been told by lifeguards, it's not a wise thing to jump in when someone's drowning. In the full height of drowning, they have adrenaline like you wouldn't believe. And if they grab a hold of you, they are taking you down. You cannot save them. They're going to drown you. So often lifeguards wait till they're exhausted all their efforts, and then, almost to the point where they literally drown, and then they reach in, and they grab hold, and they bring them safely to resuscitate. It often shows, is, a, is an example, I always look at that as, God has to wait till we exhaust all our efforts before he steps in and says, okay, you need me now? Independence to dependence. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible. Let me deviate here slightly, and I might get in trouble for doing this, under this umbrella of independence and dependence, and talk a little bit about money and prosperity. I believe America's been blessed beyond measure. Economically, the last 40 years, personally I have, and I know a lot of people have. Now, in America, we all compare, you know, who drives the nicer cars, the nicer home or homes, and it's, it's just not like that in most of the world. America is just super wealthy, and so it's even a greater challenge here in America with money, prosperity. There's nothing wrong with either. So I am not anyways trying to dig on, hey, if you got money, prosperity, that I'd be pointing to myself. But never was money or prosperity ever meant to control us. We were given the strength and the stewardship to control it, money and prosperity, but why is prosperity and money so dangerous, especially here in America? 
because it gives us all a false sense of control and power and security. When you have money, you have security. 90% of the world doesn't have money. They're broke. They're poor. Now, I'm not saying America's rich because most of it's built on debt, but the reality is it gives people this false sense of security. If I got money, I don't need God. I just do what I want. And I know people like that, by the way. I know somebody who made $60 million on Bitcoin. And three years ago, they had nothing, but they went all in, sold everything they had and bought Bitcoin, and they now have $66 million. They got four homes. They're living it up. They don't need God. They don't want to hear, he doesn't want to hear about God. He's got it made until he takes his last breath. Revelation 3.17, the last church mentioned, I believe also a representation of the last church in the church age, period, before the rapture. God says this about them. He does not commend them, which is really heartbreaking, given that all the other churches were commended. But here, he has no commendation for them. And he says this, Thou sayest, you are rich and have increased with goods. And have need of nothing. Now, I don't think they went around in the church and said that. But their lives reflected that. He said, and God's, unfortunately, his condemnation was, but you're poor, blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. And then we see, where we saw in Revelation 2, Christ was in the midst of his churches. Here in Revelation chapter 3, the last church, he's on the outside knocking. It almost as if, that kicked, they kicked God out because they had it made. Again, money and prosperity, you're rich, have increased with good, gives them a sense of I'm in control. I'm good. If God's given me this, that means I'm blessed. Whoa, gain is not necessarily godliness. And it's not a bad thing to have money as long as it doesn't control you. You have to control it. So the wilderness, going back to the wilderness, and its trials, its hardships, its struggles, meant to keep us focused on Christ and depending on him. I've never prayed more in my life, and I was a praying man up until that point where the wilderness journey began for me. But when I was in there, I never prayed more in my life than I did during that time. It was sun up to sundown. I begged God, beseech God for three years for things. For myself to learn, to grow, to understand why sometimes the silence of God was deafening to me. But the reality was God had a plan. And I'll share that with you here in a minute. And he did great things, and that's his purpose. But back in, Deuteron- or back in all this is to get our eyes on Christ. And the second lesson here from the way of the wilderness, and this is the last point. I have many points, but only not tonight. And I love this part. This is more important than anything I could say tonight. God puts us in the wilderness because he wants to manifest his power and himself in your life. Ultimately, he wants to say, I'm in there for you. Look at what I've done for you. Look at what I'm going to do for you. God wants to manifest his power, his, his glory, his 
his love, his mercy in your life in the wilderness is an unbelievable place to learn that and to see it. Not when you're in it, but when you get through it. You know what God does? He likes to flex his muscle. I really believe that. He goes, yeah, the boy went like that. Flex the muscle. When I was a little kid, you know, my dad, he's my protector. When I was in trouble, I'd run to my dad. You see little kids, you know, they cling to the, <laughs> to the leg. Remember when Jacob was fearful of dying from his brother Esau? And they began to wrestle with the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. And what did it say he did? He cleaved to his, he held onto his leg. He wasn't letting go. That's dependence. That's what the wilderness will do. God, and God wants to manifest himself. Jacob, you've been running. And now I'm going to make you a prince with Israel. You're no longer Jacob, but Israel. God loves to show himself mighty in your life. Look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. One, one chapter over from where we were. I love this because it was by design by God in Exodus chapter 14. This whole thing of leading them in the wilderness. Do you know God set this whole thing up for them? To put them in a box, in a, a rock in a hard place as we would call it. He made this all happen. So he puts them in front of the Red Sea. Next thing you know, we got, it, we got Pharaoh's armies coming down. Of course, God holds them back. But the reality is, Israel's in the middle of this thing, boxed in, nowhere to go. God loves that. I hate to say it, God loves to put us there sometimes. I know a pastor I talked to three weeks ago, he's like, man, I don't know what the answers are on this it was a real difficult situation he was going through. I said, brother, God has a Red Sea moment coming for you. You need to just trust him. He's boxing you in because there's neither a right answer or a wrong. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you, and I know you don't have it. That means God's going to do something here. But that Red Sea moment is what Israel needed to see the power of God in their lives that he was for, him, for them. Isn't that verse in Romans 8, verse 31? If God be for us... Who can be against us? Well, you really don't know that until you're boxed in with nowhere to go and the Red Sea split wide open. Can you imagine what that had been like? You know, looking at those walls of water 100 feet high. Still thinking, though, of Israel or Pharaoh's army behind you and then God closes that thing on, on the army and they witnessed that. And what did they do? They sang and had a party. They loved, they were worshiping God. They were God's great. He's a, he's a man of war. He flexed his muscle. He showed himself mighty in his power that he was for them. But he had to put him there first to show that. You're not, I always said character's not built in good times. It's built in the, in the hard times. You don't know God until you've been through the wilderness. I mean, really know him. I often ask the question, why all the plagues? Why did God... Do that, manifest in that sense and send the plague. Because I believe God was showing his sovereign power over the gods of Egypt. And he was showing, I'm for Israel. And I'm going to take you out, but I'm going to do a lot of things to show you I'm for you before that happens. And he took every one of their gods and put them to pieces. He loves to do that. But sometimes he's got to put you in a rock and a hard place. Now, 
I hate to say this because it's often too true, but many of God's people get into the wilderness and quit on God. We all probably know someone. I know plenty. Quit on God. Sometimes they don't necessarily just quit on God, stop going to church. You know where they quit on God? Right here. Right here in the heart of man. They, they're bitter. They're angry. God did something, and, and I know there's terrible things that people have experienced. So my wilderness is nothing like some people I've met with lost a child, a loved one at an early age. Terrible things. Or had a crippled child. Those are, those are difficult. I, I don't even know what that would be like. And God forbid it should happen. But that's the reality is God sometimes does these things and God's people get bitter, angry, and they quit on God in their heart. Some people just get out altogether. It's like there's, you, you talk to people. I've heard pastors walk for the wisdom. He talked about some people have come into, you know, that had cancer or whatever. One lost his, about to die, and he had two kids. And he's angry with God out of church. And he thought, but he got right. Praise the Lord, he got right before he died. But, you know, there's some people that just don't. And I got a verse about giving up. In Galatians 6, verse 9, believe it or not, it was the, I, I preached on this verse the first time I was given the responsibility to be ordained. Um, it was kind of a pass or fail, I guess, at the time. <laughs> I passed. But Galatians 6, verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due time we shall reap. But we don't do the reaping. God does the reaping for us. So don't be weary in well-doing when you're in the wilderness. For in due time, you're going to reap. You're going to see the manifestation of the power of God. If, boy, that's a big word. If we faint not. And don't faint if you're in the wilderness. Hebrews 10 has a whole thing when he chastises you. Don't, don't become a lame duck and get out of the way. You know, like, oh, me or my, this is the end of the world. God's like, no, 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 the opposite. I'm about to do something. It may, it may be a day, it may be a year, but I'm going to do something, and you'll never forget it. And you'll remember me, and you'll say, yes, God, I, I'm going I'm to stay dependent on you. So we pray for people that have quit on God. They need help. I'm going to read these verses to you, and then, just, and then we'll close on one, one, one more uh, we'll look at together. Uh, I'm not sure of my time. I guess I'm going late. So I'm going to just finish with these verses, and then we'll close. Jeremiah 33, 3. We're all familiar with this verse. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show you the great and mighty things. When you're in the wilderness is when you're going to call on God the most. Now, that doesn't mean you're not a spiritual bird and you're calling on God now. But when you're in the wilderness, you Hey, Garden of Gethsemane, we learn a lot about the, the prayer of Christ. He had the world of the on his shoulders because he knew what was about to happen. And he's, he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood. You know, that's, that's some prayer, man. His face was in the dirt. He meant business with God. He was calling on the Father. And he said, let this cup pass. That cup was not the, crucif was not the cross. The joy that was set before him, he, he endured the cross. That cup that he's talking about was the cup of wrath that would cause him to be separated from the Father when the wrath was poured out for our sins. 
He didn't want to be separated from the Father. Let this cup pass. But God said no. The Father said no. And he said, thy will be done. But he called on the Father. He called on the Father. But you're not going to see the great and mighty things if you don't call on him. And sometimes the wilderness puts us in there to call on him. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 and 27. Is there anything too hard for God? Well, when you're in a rock and a hard place, like Israel was Red Sea moment, yes. This is just going to be too hard. God, what can God, how can God get me out of this mess now? Sometimes we make our own mess. We think, well, God, God's not going to do anything for me because I made my own mess. We've got to think more of God. He loves you. He cares so much about you. You'll make your own mess. He'll fix it up. Not always. But God cares enough. He has your best and He'll take care of you. He'll help you. But he... You're not going to know if he can do anything until you call on him. And then you discover there's nothing too hard for God. And I'll look at this last verse, Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. We all quote that verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things. Well, you ever been in a bind before? And you're, you know, complaining and struggling and you're not doing the things you should be with God? Well, you're not going to know that I can do all things, or we can do all things through Christ, unless we're too weak to do them. And when we're too weak and God steps in and does it for us, then we realize I can do all things through Christ. Not on my own, but through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Everything I'm talking about here is about God manifesting himself to you in a special way to help you and to grow you. I'll close out with this verse, which is somewhat Um, it's not supposed to be a negative, but it really is a a truth that Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. That's not a straight line, folks. It's not what he said. Straight is spelled S-T-R-A-I-T. It's the spelling for hard. Enter ye in in the hard gate. Why would he tell us to do that? Because God knows that's what we need to learn how to be dependent on him. Now, I don't sit around and go, Lord, just put me in a hard place. I'm not asking. I don't, don't pray that. <laughs> God knows what you need and when you need it and how you need it. He, everybody, everybody's different. God knew what I needed for my wilderness. He, and whatever wilderness if he has for me next. But God says, enter ye into the straight gate, the hard gate. Time will not permit to go further into the, this study on the wilderness, but he gives us an eternal perspective in it. Versus a temporal. And God will teach you he always has his best interest in mind. And Paul concluded with, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know when you're the weakest? When you're in the wilderness. May God help us for the wilderness. Because it's for his glory, his honor. And he wants to do something while you're in the wilderness to show you he's there for you. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship, a time of preaching. We thank you for the the words of God that, Lord, sometimes not always easy to hear. Uh, I know that there are things said tonight that may not always be pleasant, but, Lord, I I pray it's for our good, and it'll help us, encourage us. Because, Lord, ultimately, this was about you teaching us to be independent, not independent, but dependent on you. Help us, Lord, to avoid that. That, that control in our lives. And Lord, just to honor you, to glorify you. 
to submit to you, to humble ourselves, to love you with all our heart. Lord, help us. Lord, help us as your people to honor and glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.